0: Amen. Let's stand and read God's Word, First Peter chapter one, verse number twenty-two. The Bible says, God's word says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you may be seated. I've got a question to ask you, and this is probably a very serious one. Have you ever seen an ugly baby? I've never seen an ugly baby, but I saw a few that came really close. Uh, All three of my kids were born as babies. Uh, They came out of the womb babies. Uh, We love our kids. I don't know, some of you maybe participated in the national holidays that happened this week in social media. You have uh, National Daughter Day and National Sunday, which is yet another made-up national day for us to post pictures on social media. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Any excuse to post a picture of your kids shamelessly is never bad. But you know, when when my kids were little, um, we longed for the day that they grew out of wearing diapers. Amen. That was like, that's a huge milestone. Like, th- like, that's a big deal. You know, they walk, they talk, but then they stop using disposable diapers that cost a fortune. Now, you should never want to wish your kids life away. You should cherish your kids. But there is just something that is neat about seeing your kids starting to grow up, starting to mature, starting to make some good decisions. You know, we, they go from walking to, and talking to getting out of diapers to growing into a person and then eventually, God willing, moving out of the house. Amen. But sadly, we're kind of living in a day where young people are struggling to grow up and actually maturing later in life. And for the first time in American history, a few research came out and shared that a majority of young adults aged 18 to 29 are living at home with their parents rather than living on their own. And so uh, some people wonder, why, what is it because of COVID? What's the reason for this? But I think that there seems to be a failure to launch in our day and maybe even to a degree a desire to grow up. And the reason why is that it's hard to grow up. Uh, It is much easier to live in never-never land than it is to face reality. Well, we're going to talk about growing up today, and Peter here is going to be talking about that. He is speaking here, writing to a church that is scattered all around Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he is encouraging them and us today how we are to live our lives as strangers in a strange world, Uh, As exiles here in this hostile world. And so he has taught us up to this point that how we thrive living lives here as an exile is number one, by setting our hope on the grace of God. And number two, setting our lives apart for the holiness of God, because Peter here understands that Christians are new people. We should act new, which is to grow into our newness. And many of the people that Peter is writing to were new Christians. They weren't new believers. And so he is encouraging them and telling them, if you're going to make it, you've got to grow up. Peter, if you just kind of look at the trajectory of his life, He had to learn to grow up and grow into his relationship with Christ. And so you you just don't take a baby, put him in the woods and hope that the wolves will raise him like what happened in the Jungle Book. What what Peter is saying is that you will not survive and you will not thrive until you learn to grow up. And so here's what the verses teach us today and here's what I hope it teaches you, is that you and I need to grow up because God has has given us a new life that is only satisfied by the goodness of God that comes from drinking deeply in the word of God. So two questions we want to ask. Why do we need to grow up and then how do we grow up? Number one, why do we need to grow up? The answer is we were born to grow. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Since by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you have been declared pure in the eyes of God. This is something that has happened to you by faith in Jesus Christ alone. This word purified is a word that in the Greek, the, the 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 tense of it is an action that was done in the past, so you were purified, but that this action in the past has ongoing results. And so this is not how you become a Christian, is not by being a good person, not by being pure, but you are pure and you become pure in the eyes of God because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And so you don't obey your way into purity, you live out the purity that you have in Jesus. And so that's one angle. But then in verse 23, he gives us another angle. And they, there he says that since you have been born again. So this is the same thing as having your souls purified, just at a different angle. And so one angle is we obey the truth of the gospel by faith and repentance. That's that angle. That's verse 22. But then you have this other angle where we have been born again. Being born is something that happens to you, okay? You were born. You didn't cause your birth. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your family. You were just born. And so he says here, on one side of salvation, you obeyed by faith and repentance. But on the other side, it's because you were born again by the living and abiding word of God. Does that make sense? And so to Peter a born again Christian is a redundant term. If you are not born again, you are not a Christian. And so he says that we were born again through the living and abiding word of God, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable seed. Okay. So what Peter is saying is this, is that our new birth was not a normal birth, but a supernatural conception by which the abiding, enduring, eternal Word of God, and the Holy Spirit of God made us forever the children of God. And so, just as God's Word is settled, and just as God's Word is eternal, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God endures forever, so your salvation and your new birth in Jesus are eternal, and they're settled. So you don't have to get saved again. You don't have to get born again and again. Once you're born again, you're born again. Amen? And so the question that you're going to ask yourself now is this. At 11 o'clock, you ask some of the best questions. Of all the services, you ask the best ones. And the question that I know that is just dying in your heart is this, is it why is it that I am born again? Why is it that God saved me? Why am I purified? What happened? And ultimately, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But Peter is going to tell us how we glorify God and enjoy him forever. He says, you, since you have been purified, you were born again for this, for a sincere brotherly love. The overflow of your salvation and the result of your new birth is that you have a genuine love for other people. The word brotherly love, we get our word Philadelphia from, not to be confused with the Eagles who got beat by the Cowboys. You're welcome, Miss Rhonda. It is a sincere brotherly love. Not just a brotherly love, but a sincere brother love. The word sincere here is from the Latin, which means without cracks. He says later on, he says to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So he says that we were born again by the living and abiding word of God for this reason to love others with no hidden agenda or no false motives. True love has no hidden agendas. And so the sign of spiritual maturity, the sign that you're growing up, the sign that you are starting to grow into your salvation, we'll talk about that in a moment, is not how well you preach, how great you sing, how wonderful you teach, how awesome you are as an individual. It is by the love you have for other people. The telltale sign, whether you are a mature Christian or an immature Christian, is how you treat other people. Period. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you go to church on Sunday. By this shall all people know that you're my disciples if you read your Bible daily. No. He says, by this shall all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Another. And so he goes continues with this thought and he goes to chapter two, verse one. Now he didn't write this in chapters. We put it in chapters so we can find stuff. And so he's continuing his thought about this good news that was preached to you. And he says, so you could also put the word therefore or the word since, since this has happened, therefore put away. The word put away means to lay aside, to take off, to remove, literally could be a remove a dirty, stinky, stained garment. How many of you have ever worked out so hard outside in the heat that you smelled so bad you could smell yourself? That is my point where I know I've done it, where I smell myself. And when you smell yourself, and, and sometimes what happens is this, is that you've worked out so much in a shirt for so long that you can only work out so much in it because the, the, this, you, 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 as to use the King James verse Version, you stinketh, okay? It's bad. And it's so bad, you can never wear that shirt again. It's gone. It's filthy, nasty, dirty, stinky, beyond wearing again. The only thing you should do is burn it. Burn it, especially if it's a gator shirt. Burn it, right? Oh my goodness, the heart is deep this morning. Lord forgive me for that one. I mean, some of my favorite shirts stink because I've worn them so much and worked out in them and I don't want to get rid of them. And so the great thing about moving is that I was out of town once and my wife, while we were moving to, to come here, she just threw them all away. Pray for my wife. Anyway, so put away, lay aside, remove, get rid of what? I told you, this is the rowdy group. Malice. What is malice? We don't really use that word much. Deep seated anger. With the intention to harm somebody. So have you ever been so mad, you just didn't like somebody so much, you wanted to hurt them? You wanted to see their demise? You wanted to see their harm? It's malice. He said, "Put it away. Get rid of it. Deceit. What is deceit? It's lying. It's trying to bend the truth to make yourself look better or to make someone else look worse. Put it away. Hypocrisy, it's to be two-faced. It's a species of deceit. It's that you don't want people to know the real you, so you put up this fake facade. Envy. Envy is not being satisfied with what you have, it's always longing for what someone else has. Slander. Tearing other people down to push yourself up. He says, Put that away. Lay it aside. It stinks. It's dirty. It's nasty. It's filthy. We were born again to grow in our love for other people. So love is not malicious, it's not deceitful, it's not hypocritical, it's not envious, it's not slanderous, and here's the truth. Sadly, some of the meanest, vicious, malicious people in the world call themselves Christians. True? I mean, some Christians are like crabs in a crab bucket. You never have to put a lid on a crab bucket. If there's a crab bucket with crabs, you don't put a lid on it because once one crab tries to climb, the other crabs will pull them down. Somebody in the church is doing well. They're having a good day. You don't like that, so you try to tear them down. You try to pull them down. God is using them in a mighty way. You want to pull them down. You look for their demise. You hope for their their demise. And we wonder why people don't want to come to church. Because if there's to be one place in the whole world where people are to love and respect and be there for one another, it should be the church of Jesus Christ. But sadly, we are worse than what happens in the world. I mean, imagine if MTV made a real-life church show showing church members. So here's the deal. We have to understand that if we are truly saved and we struggle loving people, that's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. We are to grow. I'm not saying that once you're saved, you immediately love people perfectly, but you should have a desire to want to grow in that. He says in verse number two, like newborn infants, Peter here is concerned about the maturity of these believers because they're newborn believers and just because you're newborn doesn't mean you come out fully grown and mature. And so just because you're a newborn Christian doesn't mean you come out fully grown and mature. You have to grow. You have to grow into it. And the problem is is that there are too many people who have been Christians for too many years who are still babies in Christ. Spiritual babies. What's a spiritual baby? Well, number one, a spiritual baby is unstable. They can go from the, go from the depths of despair to the height of excitement in, in seconds. They, they can be in worship, raising their hands, praising God, having a holy fit, and then something little bit happens in their life, and they're in deep despair, and they say, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll just eat worms. They're unstable. They go from highs to lows. They're selfish. It's like a... A young, immature kid, they're selfish. the whole world revolves around them. It's all about me, It's all about my needs being met. They're insecure. They constantly need attention and approval. They, they never want to be corrected. They want to be coddled, they want to be loved. An immature Christian is possessive. They struggle to share things. Their, their, their phrase is, "It's mine, it's mine." And so this is my church. This is my seat. This is my ministry. This is the way I like it. It's about me. That's not spiritual maturity. They're gullible. They'll believe anything. Spiritual, immature people will believe anything. They'll believe heresy. They'll believe just weird stuff. They'll get on social media and believe that everything on social media is true. Gullible. They're suckers. Spiritually immature people... Are sensitive, easily offended, easily hurt. And what Peter is saying is this is that when you're jealous and envious and malicious and stingy and selfish and demanding and lying and two faced, and yet you call yourself a Christian, you're not spiritually mature. You're a spiritual infant. And so to the degree that you see those things disappear in your life is to the degree that you know you're growing up. And here's, a, here's what you have to understand. We're all growing. Some are way more spiritually mature than others. And age has nothing to do with this. I know a lot of old fools, Right? But I want you to understand here, Peter is not coddling immature believers, nor is he coddling immature behavior. He is saying it's time to grow up. Now, here's what I understand. Some of you are listening to this message or you're watching online and you're like, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. Man, they're the biggest baby I know. Well, here's what you gotta understand. You may not be as spiritual as you think you are. It is easy, it is far easy to spot immaturity in others and not see it in ourselves. Like my kids, they're growing up and there are times they do things. I mean, it's amazing. You can have kids in certain ages and, and they're like reverting back to like when they were like baby babies, okay? And it's interesting, you see that. And I look at them and I say, dude, or, or sweetheart or whatever, you're acting like a baby. It's time to grow up. And then I see myself doing the same things. I pout I get angry. I get selfish. I get self-centered. I can act like the biggest stinking baby, bigger than anyone in the house. There are times I need to grow up. Listen, we have to understand that we're all growing. And that's why Peter says, grow up to your salvation, or could be translated, grow into your salvation. Now, he's not saying you have to grow into a place where you can be saved. No, we understand that salvation is in three tenses. I am saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. Salvation is ours. We just got to grow into it. And there's this battle in our lives and this battle is, is, is because there are a lot of things in the world that stunt our growth. And the battle of the Christian life is the battle between the new life and the old life. It's the tension of making progress and then reverting back to immature habits. Anybody ever been like that? It's like, man, I'm doing so good. And then, man, something happens and I go back to acting like a baby. So Matthew Stafford was as a football player. Some of you may or may not like this illustration. Um, but he's now the quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. He was, for a long time, drafted out of the University of Georgia. Uh, from the D- he played for the Detroit Lions. And uh, for years, I had him on my fantasy team, and he stunk. He, w- he would be like, I would play him, and he would do horrible, and then I would bench him, and then he would like score 48 points. All right? It was just inevitable. But the Lions, you know, if you're a Lions fan in the room, we're praying for you. Just know that. We're, we're praying for you. And some of you are like, man, I don't get these. You know, anyway, so he was on Monday Night Football being interviewed by Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. And they were asking about his transition to the NFL, or not to the NFL, but from the Detroit Lions to the L.A. Rams. And here's what he said. He said, the hardest part is not learning the new system. The hardest part is forgetting the old system. And I thought, well, you know what? That's kind of the Christian life, isn't it? The hardest part isn't learning that we got to love people. The hardest part is forgetting the old habits, right? Like the old habits are maliciousness, wanting to see people get hurt. The old habits are lying and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's the old habits. That's the old nasty bucket of the world. But I've got to now learn the new system, and that's to love others. And so why are we to grow up? Because we were born to grow. We've been given this great salvation that if we could just grow into it, we would enjoy it more and we would thrive as believers and and we would live so differently in this world if we just grew up. And so now the question is this, how do we grow up? How do we grow up? So the answer is is simple, taste the goodness. Now, when I wrote this, I was thinking of Skittles. It says, taste the rainbow. I thought that would be weird. So I just put... Taste of goodness. What does he mean here? What do you mean by that, preacher? Verse two, like newborn infants, long or crave for the pure spiritual milk. When you have kids, for those of you who have kids in the rooms, you know something. Your kids come out naturally hungry. They just do. Like I'm raising three starving kids. And so all of us were created with the need and the desire to eat and drink. And so for those of you who haven't had kids yet, understand this, that there are no instruction manuals that come out with the kids, okay? But it is common knowledge for those of you that are wondering that if you feed your kids, they will grow. And so that's what we did. Our parents fed us, we fed our kids. And so we've been feeding them for years. And guess what's happened? They grew. And so April and I have invested a lot of food in our kids. And they're growing. And here's what you have to understand. There's a, there's a principle with this. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. And so how do we grow into maturity is by feeding, right? By eating, by, by taking with into, into ourselves what? The pure, unadulterated word of God, which he says in verse 25 of chapter one, which is the gospel that saved our souls. And so he says here that we are to if we're going to grow up, then we need to put into our bodies that which is life giving and that which is life changing. The word of God. See, when you come to Christ, Christ gives you life. John chapter four, verse 14, Jesus to the lady at the well. Uh, he said this, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again, will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. We come to the word, the word of God. And so for those of you that are saved, the word is that which birthed you and it's also what grows you and it's what sustains you. The word is what saves you and it's also what sanctifies you. And so the word is important. The word can't be just something you bring to church or you have on your phone, you plop it down and you never think about it again. The word must be something that you spend your life in every day of your life. Because if you get in the word every day, then the word of God will get into you. It has to be a daily discipline. You know, I talk to people all the time. They say, Pastor, I don't have any problems praying, but I really struggle reading God's Word. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you struggle eating every day? Some of you, don't raise your hand. I don't have a problem with eating every day. My problem is I overeat. Can I get a witness on that? I love to eat. I love food. I love good food. It's a daily discipline. Every day, I have to discipline myself to eat. No, I don't. It's natural, Right. But getting into God's Word is a discipline because it's spiritual warfare, because Satan and the flesh and the world doesn't want you in God's Word. But you have to understand that being in God's Word daily is not optional for the Christian life. It's necessary for the Christian life. But but as you think about this, because we are naturally born physically with a desire to eat, we're also spiritually and intellectually and emotionally given a desire to consume. So you're going to consume something. Okay, the 128 hours, I think that's how many we get, maybe I'm wrong, that we get in a week, we're gonna consume something. Every Sunday, I dread what I look at on my phone. On my phone every Sunday, it tells me the amount of time each day I spend on my phone. Anybody else get that on Sunday for my phone? It is depressing some days, right? We are gonna consume something. So here's what you have to understand. You are what you eat, So if your daily diet is a bucket of nasty that the world feeds you, then don't be surprised when you're just as nasty as the world. If the main source of your consumption every day is social media, cable news, talk radio, and mass media entertainment, then you are going to be spiritually unhealthy, you have to spend more time in his book and not on Facebook. You need to spend more time in the scriptures than you are on Snapchat. You need to be spending more time in the inspired word of God than you are on Instagram. I mean, imagine this. Could you imagine feeding a baby every day Krispy Kreme donuts and milkshakes? What would you get? A fat baby. In 2004, Morgan, Morgan Spurlock did a documentary called "Supersize Me." So maybe some of you watched it. Some of you, are like 2004, I wasn't even born yet. But in this documentary, he ate McDonald's. And if you work at McDonald's, we love you, okay? But what I'm about to say here shouldn't shock you, okay? He ate McDonald's food every day, three times a day, for 30 days, every meal. He consumed five, at least 5,000 calories every day. And so at the end of his documentary, he gained over 25 pounds. During this... 30 days he says in his documentary he experienced mood swings depression lethargy heart palpitations headaches and a loss of energy at the end of the 30 days doctors who did an extensive diagnostic testing on his body said that because of these 30 days he now has suffered from irreversible heart damage you are what you eat and some of you have consumed so much that you've done heart damage So then how can I grow, not by eating junk, by tasting the goodness of God? He says this in verse number three, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good as newborn babes long for spiritual milk, which we know is the word of God so that you can grow up. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, he is giving us an homage to Psalm 34, verse eight, where the Psalmist David says, taste and see the Lord is good. For us to grow, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded every day of God's grace and God's love in our lives. And how do we know that? Because the only way you can know of God's love and grace in your life is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So I need to taste that the Lord is good, and I taste that the Lord is good through hearing and applying and absorbing into my life the Word of God. And so what Peter's going to say is this: think about this, stay with me. When you have tasted feasted on the goodness of the Lord, you are satisfied with his goodness. And so when you are full of God's goodness and you are full of God's grace, you will not have a desire, nor will you crave to be malicious, to steal, to conceal, to lie, to envy, or to tear down because those things don't taste good anymore. You know, back in the day, being malicious felt good. But back in the day, lying so that others thought you're better than you know you are felt good. But back in the day, tearing other people down felt good. But when you've tasted the goodness of God, that stuff's horrible. The more the things of the world, the old habits of the world just don't have the same thrill. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out of my way to eat a Happy Meal right now. It wouldn't make me very happy. And what happens is, is that the things that used to give you a thrill, they're disgusting to you now. Because you are satisfied on the goodness of God that you don't want to mess around with the fake goodness of this world. And, and when you do have those moments where you slip up and where you, where, where you give in to those old habits, you feel sick over it. Peter is saying, how do you grow up by getting into God's word, by by developing a refined diet of God's word more than the junk of the world? And so the question now is, how can I have a spiritual discipline of being in God's word? So I'm going to answer that really quickly. One is you should have a Bible reading plan for years. I've read through the Bible every year. Uh, on January the 1st, 2022, if Jesus doesn't return, we as a church are going to be going through a read through the Bible in a year. I, it'll be on you version. You can join. We can see each other. We can interact with each other. I can see if you've been reading or not. Okay. Yeah, have a Bible reading plan. You just can't play Russian roulette with a Bible. You can't just, all right, Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? And then you go in there and you find some random verse that could tell you something weird. You've got to read the Bible with the context in mind, have a di- daily Bible reading plan. Some of you need to get into Bible and life group. Now, some of you just came from Bible and life group. Some of you have no idea what that is. It's a small group. Okay. We, we, you know, we churches kind of give all kinds of fancy names. Let me just give you what it is. It's a group of people that read the Bible together and have life together, do life together. Okay. Some of you need to do that. You study God's word with other people. Some of you need to start memorizing Scripture and think about God's word deeply. So let me give you an acronym I'll speak a little acronymish today that will help you this week, hopefully, get into God's word and get something more out of it. So it's the acronym Soap." So the S" stands for "select a Scripture." So as you have a Bible reading plan, whether you're in the Psalms or the Proverbs or whether you're reading through the Bible in a year or you just, whatever, you select a scripture, okay? Select it, read it. could be multiple passages, multiple verses. Secondly, write down your observations. So have a separate sheet of paper, have a journal, have something like that, write down your observations. So just as you read the text, say, What's this, what, is, what is this passage, what is it saying? Who's it written by? Who's it written to? What are the main facts of this passage? All right, then after you've written the observations you have, then write down some points of application. So ask questions like this. What does the passage reveal about God? What does the passage reveal about me? What does the passage reveal about others? Is there a promise in this passage? Is there a command? Is there something that I need to do? Is there something that I need to learn? Is there something in this passage about Jesus? And then when you're done with all that, pray through the text. If you do that, I'm going to challenge you to do that. Do it three times this week. That's not a lot. Three times this week. If it doesn't help you understand and get more out of God's word, you come down and see me. Okay? And I'll give you a prize. I'm pretty much going to guarantee you, if you do that legitimately, you're going to get something out of it. And when you and I get into God's word, it will get into you and it will change you from the inside out. And so your daily Bible reading can't just be scarfing it down. You've got to slowly sip on it and take bites out of it, small bites, and then enjoy the experience. Allow God's word to absorb into your body because that's how you grow. That's how you grow in your walk with Jesus. If you are struggling in your walk with God, it could be you're consuming horrible things and as you grow you will see God grow in your life every year you grow in Jesus Jesus gets bigger in your life it's not that Jesus gets bigger physically but he gets bigger in you and the things of this world get smaller let's end with this Peter says if you've tasted the goodness of God you'll want more of it and you're going to crave it because you know that's how you grow. So the question of the hour is this: Have you tasted the goodness of God? Have you experienced it? Have you experienced that goodness? Have you experienced His grace? And here's what I want you to say: If you have, you'll never be the same ever. You won't be, right? Amen. A few months ago, I was at a conference uh, in a, in, a, in Florida. Uh, and I stayed at a hotel, never been to this hotel before, came in really late at night. And because of COVID, you know, there's a lot of changes in hotels. And so because of COVID, I saw signs that said that breakfast, which is supposed to be free, is a to-go breakfast. And so I thought, you know what, it is what it is. Went to bed, got up in the morning, worked out in the morning, Got there and there's these little brown bags. And so you don't know have these little brown bags, little sticker on them, and inside the bag is like some packaged muffin, an orange juice, maybe a banana, uh, something, something in there, okay? And so I get down working out. I say, well, this is, I don't have time to go anywhere else, and so I grab these brown, grabbed a brown bag, I I grabbed two. Just grabbed, just why not, right? No one was there. What are they gonna do? <laughs> and so went up to my room, pilfered through it, thinking that if I got two, maybe there would be one good thing in the two bags. And so I ate it. I ate whatever was there. and I came out, went to the conference next morning, did the same routine, get up early in the morning, worked out, saw a friend. And, and so um, his name is Paul. And he said, have you ate breakfast yet? And I said, well, I said, there's really nothing to eat here. The only thing they have to eat here is these to-go bags. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, we're we're in this conference and because we're in this conference, being a part of this conference, there is a full breakfast buffet. And he says, I ate there yesterday and it was fantastic. And he says, I'm headed there right now. Do you want to go? And I said, sure, sure. We go back to this room that I didn't see that was there. And in there was the greatest buffet I've ever seen in my life. They were were cat head biscuits and gravy, sausage gravy. Bacon, real bacon, not that stuff you could read the newspaper through bacon, like real bacon. Sausage patties, not those nasty links patties. There there were eggs, there was fruit, there was omelets. You can make your own waffles. I was amazed. And I had no idea that was there. No idea that was available to me the whole time. But my buddy knew he experienced it and he told me about it. And so for the rest of the conference, every morning I feasted at the banquet set before me every day. All because of a friend told me about a buffet that was already paid for me. Well, you know where I'm going, right? there's a buffet set out for you. You may not know about, and I want to tell you that this is a buffet of God's goodness, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his faithfulness, his love. And it was paid by Jesus for you. Jesus tasted death so that we could taste God's goodness. Jesus paid the price so we don't have to pay. This buffet is free. Open 24 hours, seven days a week. Never runs out. Never runs dry. Always good. And Jesus is offering you a personal invitation to taste his goodness. And here's what I know. If you have tasted the Lord's goodness you want to tell everybody, right? It's a personal taste that that is People can't taste it for you. You taste it, and when you do, it changes you. But let's, let me tell you something. Once you have had a personal taste, it's not a private taste. You want to tell others about it. That's why this afternoon, in a few hours, we're going to be baptizing over 30-plus people because they have tasted the goodness of God, and they want others to know about it. And so if you have tasted the goodness of God, why haven't you told others about it? Some of you need to tell others through baptism. So some of you today, you aren't planning on it, but some of you, you need to go ahead and tell the world you are a Christian through baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but it shows the world you are saved. And I want to challenge you that if Jesus Christ died on the cross for you publicly, if he rose from the dead triumphantly, then you, if you haven't taken that next step, should want to follow him wherever he leads. And the first place he leads is in the waters of baptism. So I wouldn't wait So today, at the end of this service, you can come down here or you can fill out a Connect card and you can go talk to our Connections people at our Connections Next Step area and they would love to help you take that next step this afternoon. If you don't have stuff, we'll provide it for you. We got towels, we got everything you need. You just need to be willing. But the second thing, church families, if you have tasted the goodness of God, you need to this week share the goodness of God. You need to, when you walk into a room, you should light it up because of what Jesus has done in your life. You have no idea how one invitation, how one kind word, how one good gesture can change someone's life forever. And then thirdly, I'm going to end. I got a little excited, but I'm going to end with this. If you're here today and you're like, I I can't, I'm struggling, Pastor. I I don't know how I'm going to make it. I I don't have this joy you have. You're, You're a nut up there. You can have this joy that money can't buy and death can't take away. And that's by giving your life to Jesus. And Jesus today is offering you a taste of his goodness. And if you today, wherever you are, just as you are, would just trust him as your savior, it'll change your life. Just last Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, man came up to me. We were at a party with the pastors. He came up to me, and he says, Pastor, I'm miserable. I want to get saved right now. So guess what we did? We went off to another little room, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and today he's getting baptized. His wife has been praying for years, and I spoke to him, and he says, Oh, the joy. have in Jesus. That could be you today. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask that your Holy Spirit does what I could not do today, and that is call people to yourself, Lord, that you would move in their hearts, that you would make them miserable until they trust you as Savior. So God, right now, in this moment, if there's anyone here in this room that has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, would you, in a moment of honesty, say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But today, I give you my life. I surrender it all. Forgive me of my sins and save me. If you're in the room and you want to pray a prayer like that, do it right now. Talk to God, Father, in Jesus' name. Call people to yourself. And then call out the called. Call out those who need to be baptized today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing as loud as we can about the goodness of our God.